Okay, so today I am going to deal with you have to add to your faith. So I'm going to read Ephesians 4, and then I'm going to go to 2 Peter. I am reading from the Messenger Bible from Ephesians 4, so it'll be a little different than what it says in the regular, but I love the clarity in this one. So I'm going to start with Ephesians 4, 1 through 7. It says, in light of all this, hear what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master, I want you to get out there and walk, better yet run, on the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. And mark that you do this with humility and discipline, not in its fits and starts, but steadily, pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. You were all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction, so stay together, both outwardly and inwardly. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, who rules all over, works through all, and is in present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. But that doesn't mean you should all look and speak and act the same. Out of the generosity of Christ, each of us is given his own gift. So often we feel like God has not gifted each and every one of us differently. You have to find your gift. You have to find why God called you, chose you to do this work he needs all of us to do. Your gift is very important in the kingdom. Your gift is very important for all of us to be benefited because we're one body working together. If you're not working your gift, then my body's missing something. And we often think of gifts as just being somebody up talking or somebody up doing some preaching or something. It's so many more gifts than that. I mean, you know, if, even if you are gifted to get up and talk, there's still so much more you have to do. I mean, we have to realize the fact that God is very multifaceted. So we need to be that as well. Don't get comfy just doing one thing. I'm glad you're a good song leader. You got to do something else. I'm glad that you can usher, but you got to do something else. What are you doing for the kingdom? What are you doing outside of the four walls that is going to bring people in to this glorious gospel? Let's look at Ephesians 4, 14 through 27. I would have read the whole thing, but I know I should not do that, so. I'm going to cut and paste a little. It says, no pro prolonged infancies among us, please. Will not tolerate babes in the woods, small children who are, mar are an easy mark for imposters. God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth, and to tell it in love, like Christ in everything. We take our lead from Christ. 
who is the source of everything we do. He keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and blood flows through us, nourishing us so that we will grow up healthy in God, robust in love. And so I insist, and God backs me up on this, that there be no going along with the crowd, the empty-headed, mindless crowd. They've refused for so long to deal with God that they've lost touch, not only with God, but with reality itself. They can't think straight anymore, feeling no pain. They let themselves go into sexual obsessions, addicted to every sort of perversion. When you block yourself from feeling pain, and you use everything so that you don't feel pain, you're gonna fall into something. And it was never intended for church folks and us good God people to get away from our pain. We were supposed to embrace the pain and trust God to help us through it. You are not weak because you have pain. You are not small because you go through difficulties. It is not that you know God any less. It is that you are human and we're relying on the God of our salvation to take us through. But a lot of times we beat ourselves up because we can't bounce back quickly. Sometimes he wants you to stay there. But when you start trying to feel things to stop the pain, then that means you're getting away from him. Because if he says stay in the pain and you're trying to do other things to get away from the pain, you've missed him. And this is how we fall into whole, all kinds of perversions. Number 20, or I should say verse 20. <laughs> but that's no life for you. You are learned Christ. My assumption is that you have paid careful attention to him, been well instructed in the truth precisely as we have it in Jesus. Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything connected with that old way of life, has to go. It is rotten through and through. Get rid of it. And then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. If we do not start the work from the inside out, God is not doing the producing. We are. If I can control all my behaviors and I can look the part, but the inside is still filthy, God hasn't done it, I've just done it. And that lets me stay in control. Because we can stop behavioral sins, but that stuff that's deep within us, that's what God's got to get out. The heart stuff, the mind stuff. So we gotta be careful that we're not just trying to look the part, but that we are really letting God reproduce his character within us. Because how much of God character do you have? 25. What this adds up to then is this. No more lies. No more pretense. And we missed that in the church, the pretense. He says so many times don't have pretense. That hypocrisy, that false way of looking and acting. Yet we just are so fake in the church putting on faces, never showing who we really are, what we're really going through. 
that's of the world. That's the old nature. We were supposed to be open and vulnerable and transparent. That's what God is. Tell your neighbor the truth. In Christ's body, we're all connected to each other after all. When you lie to others, you end up lying to yourself. Go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry, but don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. We don't even want to get angry because we are afraid of what anger will produce. So then we try to deny that we even have anger. Many people have had anger towards God himself of why have you done this? Why have you brought this into my life? How is he gonna prove himself to you if you can't even tell him that you're angry? How can he show you the answers that you so desperately want if you can't even speak to him and say, why did you do this? Why did you bring this? Why are you allowing this? Seems like you left me and you're on somebody else's side. I gotta speak that to him so that he can come in and heal what he needs to heal so that he can give me the answers that I don't know about. Anger's not a bad thing. And the reason why we have a lot of depression is just inward anger. You turn it inward and you get sad. You let it out, you let God work it, he starts to work it out of you. But ooh, anger is the bad thing. Especially in the church, we're not supposed to be angry. The quick thing is to be angry and sin not. What does that mean? Be angry. Feel it. Don't deny your emotions. Feel them. God gave them to us for a purpose. He was angry. Flipping tables and carrying on, that's a little aggression. No one told him to go sit down and stop it. Moving to Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. And I know I'm reading a lot, but I figure they have more to say than I do. <laughs> it says, watch what God does, and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from parents, mostly what God does is love you. Mostly what he does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. That's the basis of love. Don't let yourselves get taken in by religious smooth talk. God gets furious with people who are full of religious sales talk, but want nothing to do with him. Don't even hang around people like that. We got to be careful, like I was saying last night, how the devil can come in as an angel of light. Acting like he's so about Jesus, but you never really hear Jesus. You want to make sure the program is not about a man, but the program is strictly about Christ. What Christ is doing, what Christ has done, what Christ is going to do. It's enough there that we don't really need to talk about nothing else. All of everything we do for God should be just about him. It should be none of us. It's 66 books. We have not come close to understanding it. 
Why do we have time to talk about frivolous stuff? To talk about stuff that has no meaning and no relevance in this life and Lord knows not in the life to come. But we are occupied with foolishness, with religious cliches that mean nothing. And we wonder why we're so weak, because I don't know him. You groped your way through the murk once, but no longer. You're out in the open now. The bright light of Christ makes your way plain. So no more stumbling around, get on with it. The good, the right, the true. These are the actions appropriate for daylight hours. Figure out what will please Christ and then do it. You gotta figure out what you're supposed to do to please Christ. You, not compare it to anybody else, but just what are you supposed to do to please him? Stop trying to get everybody else to say, oh yeah, I think that's what you're supposed to do. We're always looking for an amen corner. Maybe no one else got what you're supposed to do but you. I don't need you to agree. I don't even need you to think that I'm doing the right thing. If I heard from Christ, then that's what I'm supposed to do. But Christ's voice has gotten so small and everyone else's voice is so big that I can barely even hear the man talk anymore. I don't even know what the voice sound like. So I gotta ask you, what do you think Jesus wants me to do? Because I don't know. Wake up from your sleep. Climb out of your coffins. Christ will show you the light. So watch your step, use your head, make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. Don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the master wants. This is what we have been pursuing, what the master wants from us. We must never stop or give up when it starts getting a little dark or it gets a little hard. As one of my classmates said, it feels like a crash course. We getting all this information quickly, it's so much to do. But we've wasted enough time. We got to get up, we got to wake up, we got to get to running. We've been asleep for half the time. When are we gonna get up and start moving for God and make it not about us, but about him? God is with you every step of the way and he wants us to find it more than we want it. He is begging for us to get on the path. He is like, will you see what I have laid in front of you? Get on it and run. Go about doing it. I need you to do this so that I can come back. But because you people won't get on the path, I've got to sit here and wait. Move quickly, let's go. So let's hear what Peter says about adding on the faith. Second Peter one. And I'm gonna read from the Amplified Version for that one. It says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle, special messenger of Jesus Christ, to those who have received, obtained an equal privilege of, like precious faith, with ourselves in and through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, 
may grace, God's favor, and peace, which is perfect well-being, all necessary good, all spiritual prosperity, and freedom from fears and agitating passions and moral conflicts, be multiplied to you in full, personal, precise, and correct knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Peace. Perfect well-being is what he wants us to have. All necessary good, all spiritual prosperity, and freedom from fears and agitating passions and moral conflict. That's what peace is. And then he says, may it be multiplied to you. That's what he wants us to have, that kind of peace. This is what he's given us. And that's why it's that peace beyond understanding. This is what we're supposed to be living in here on earth, this kind of peace, which goes beyond any understanding. It's ours. Because he said, peace I give to you. I leave it with you. Yet why is it so hard for us to find peace of mind? Why are we so agitated and full of conflict and muttering around not knowing who we are or who called us? That's not of God. We have let the devil come in and slip us something. He's telling us lies, and we're not extinguishing the lies. Put on the whole armor, and we can get rid of that stuff. Verse 3. His divine power has bestowed upon us all things that are requisite and suited to live to life in godliness through the full personal knowledge of him who called us by and to his own glory and excellence. By means of these, he has bestowed on us his precious and exceedingly great promises, so that through them you may escape by flight from the moral decay, rottenness, and corruption that is in the world because of covetedness, lust, and greed, and become sharers, partakers of divine nature. So I want you to take note of the order that he gives us. He says, for this very reason, for us to share in divine nature, he wants to add to your diligence, diligence, attentiveness to the divine promises. Employ every effort in exercising your faith. Exercising, when you're exercising, you are working towards an end. It is not passive. And the closer you get to the end of your mark, the more confidence you have that you will complete your task. With each step, the scripture tells us to exercise the previous step, then move on to the next step. As you complete step one, you have confidence. You can take step two and so forth. So here he says, adding your diligence, Employ every effort in exercising your faith. You must have faith to exercise faith. Faith is what we have missed. We own just part one, faith. 
the whole belief that God is in control, the entire belief that God's got us, that nothing bad can come our way because God has us. So even the things that look bad are not really bad because God has us. Because we are one in Christ. I am literally standing in Christ, which means every part of me is covered. Faith. You gotta get to where you have faith. Cause it's your faith that makes you whole. This is why we're not whole because we don't have faith. We talk it, we quote it, but are we living in it? Because with faith, you have peace. With faith, you have joy. With faith, we are just gliding through life. I have no fears. I have no anxieties. I have faith. Now, once we get the faith, and it's exercising, I mean, I'm working it. Every time some conflict comes, I put faith on it. Every time I get down, I put faith on it. I'm building up my faith muscles. We a little weak in the faith area. We know the baptism. We know the good Holy Ghost. We know the one thing, the faith thing. Oh, we working that way. We got to, oh, we got to admit we don't have it. Now we got to start working it. Because not until we exercise the faith can we move on to deep virtue, which is excellence, resolution, motion, Christian energy. This is why we don't have energy, because we don't have no faith. How can I go forth with God? How can I get my gift going, doing my ministry, doing what I'm supposed to do that God gave me when I don't have faith? So then I have no virtue. I have no resolve. I have no movement. I just come and sit in the pew every week. Try not to sin. Pray a couple of times. Feel compelled I should pick up the book and read it. But I don't have motion. Where's my Christian energy? Exercising it. So once we exercise that, from virtue we must develop knowledge, which is intelligence. How educated are you in the scriptures? How much has Christ, the Spirit, taught you about him and what he wants from you and what he wants you to give. How educated are you? Not what, what someone else said, but what has Christ taught you? When you opened up the book to read it, what revelation has he given you? Stop thinking you can't get your own revelation. It's mine. You may read a verse and see it completely different than I see it. That's fine. We don't have to necessarily agree. Because if the spirit is mine and it is my truth, then God is going to give me a revelation that's my truth. Don't be a dummy because we can't afford it. We can't afford not to know. We can't afford to be stupid any longer. We've got to know these scriptures without a doubt. Without intelligence, we cannot move forward.
So we have faith, we have virtue, and now we have to have knowledge. Once you get knowledge, you, got, you start, the, the motion you had when you first felt like you had faith, it becomes even more alive. So in exercising knowledge, develop self-control. Not until we are intelligent will we gain self-control. And we're pushing people to have self-control when they get saved. It's impossible. Because you don't have faith, you don't have virtue, and you don't have knowledge. How can you then have self-control? So then what do we do? We get into this whole thing of me trying to fake it. I'm letting this go, but I'm picking this up. I'm just exchanging sins. The ones that look bad, I'm going to stay away from. The ones that we can kind of roll with, I'm going to keep. So I stopped, you know, being compulsive with my sex, and I picked up a hamburger. I stopped cussing a whole lot, but now I'm lying all the time. So we just exchanging sins as if God is okay with it. When you know and understand the word of God and what it means for you, self-control becomes easier. Half the worries and concerns over all the sins and the things that are not really sins wouldn't have to be used as controls if we pushed self-control. I don't need to be all up in what you're doing. You have the ability to book, pick the book up and read it for yourself. You know what is against God in your life. You control yourself. I'm not going to control you. Let God control you. But whenever you have a, a, a person who's all of your control, you miss God. Remember, Jesus is the only mediator we were supposed to have. But I'm more concerned about what you're going to see and how you're going to interpret it than what I'm really doing in my heart. Because then we start convicting people on things that are our personal convictions. So then we get long sermons about your personal convictions when it ain't got nothing to do with me. We listen to several different uh, podcasts, and one of the is the UPC. And so, you know, they're really into the clothes and the hair. And the, why are you taking up a whole good sermon about that? You want your hair long, wear long. You don't want to wear pants, don't wear the pants, but don't waste my time on this. I could find out a little something extra about Jesus. But we start getting into things, and then we start judging one another. Oh, you do that? Oh, you allow yourself to? Look, you can't do it, fine. You got a problem with it, you shouldn't do it. And don't, please don't do it, because I do it. But don't say that you know how to judge me, because you're not my judge. It's just God. But when I know my knowledge, when I know my boundaries, when I can walk without fear, but in victory, we were supposed to be liberated. We took getting saved and just added a burden on our shoulders. Where's the liberation? Where's the freedom of living? I'm supposed to be at ease and it's supposed to be just wonderful now, but now I'm more burdened down. Why? Because just like they did with in, in the Israel times, added all them laws. Started with 10, got to what, 613 or something? 
wasn't 10 enough? The 10 I barely got. 603 more you added? How will I be able to live in that? And we talk about them, we say, look at them, and we do the whole spiritual thing when Jesus came to kill the law, da 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 da. Yet, we've done the same thing, just in our way. This law, this law, this law, this law, you can't, you can't, you can't. Control yourself. Let God speak to you. You get to mixing and something, he'll tap you. Sweetie, don't do that no more. That's not good for you. And you may be with a group of people, and a group of people, oh, everybody doing something different. You start mixing in it, not for you. Don't be jealous, because they can do it. But not for you. Learn your self-control. Self, what God gives you. But you only can get there when you know the knowledge of God. When you have your keen hearing as to what God is speaking. God was supposed to talk to all of us. We were supposed to have this continual little chit-chat going on. But we stopped talking to him. And we don't know when he's talking back. He's like a stranger. He keeps dialing up and we're like, hello? Who are you? I keep feeling like somebody's saying something, but what? Because I don't know your voice. Self-control is huge in this Christian walk. Huge. Because when you have the knowledge, you will walk in self-control every day, all by yourself. If you never hear another sermon, you will walk in self-control because you got the knowledge. How do you get the knowledge? That's what you got to get first. Balance. It is the hardest thing for us good humans to do. We just be just a swinging and just a swinging. But when do we get centered and just walk? Not going all the way over here and all the way over there, but just nice in the middle and stay there. And sometimes, because we just, the good humans made a dirt, you move back, but make sure your movement's not too much. Just move a little bit and then get back. Now, when you get the self-control exercise, then you develop steadfastness, the patience, and the endurance. The reason I can't wait for anything is because I have no self-control. I can't stand still and wait my turn. When I have the faith and knowledge that God will grant me all I need, I can be steadfast in my waiting, and I will wait with joy. Faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, then I get steadfastness. See, when I first get in here, I'm supposed to be nervous because I haven't exercised all this stuff yet. Some of us 10, 15 years in, why are we still not steadfast? We ain't had no faith, no virtue, no knowledge, and no nothing. I can speak. That's about all I'm exercising is the tongue. 
Jesus. Whoa. We, you know, and the thing is, is if I'm going to go back to the faith, we got saved in faith. We believe he can save us. And that's as far as our faith has gotten. Oh, I know he can save. We, we have no doubt about the salvation thing. The initial salvation thing. But the living faith? That everyday faith? Because until I get that, I can't move on. So I'm stuck at the beginning. Stuck at the beginning. Ugh. And, and you're stuck at the beginning because, why? Because we don't want to exercise faith. Because I don't want to give up my mind control, what I can control, and give it to God. But remember, the helmet of salvation is a mind controlled by God. If God controlled our minds, faith would be no big deal for us. Because he had ultimate faith in his father. While he laid there on a cross being cut up, beaten, bruised, ultimate faith that he's going to take me out of this. So if my mind is controlled by God, faith would be no problem. The problem is I control my mind. I don't have on the helmet. This is why he keeps knocking me, Satan, with the lies because I'm not protected. Now, after we exercise steadfastness, we are to develop godliness. Godliness. We are pushing people to be godly when this is number six on the list. I can't be godly if I don't have faith. If I lack virtue, if I have no knowledge of who God is, and I can't control myself, and I don't have patience, how am I going to be godly? Godliness with contentment is great gain. If I could get to godliness, maybe I could have some great gain. What? my life look like God when I don't have any of his qualities? The first part are his qualities. If I don't have them, how can I look like him? And we wonder why we don't have the image of God being permeated into the world. All we got is a bunch of talk. So once I get the qualities down, then I can go to godliness. Now, he added more. In exercising godliness, I then develop brotherly affection. Mm. Now take note that it just says affection, a fondness, a friendliness, a care. 
We want to jump to deep love too quick. When you embody godliness, you will be able to move to affection for others because you have love for yourself. It would be impossible for me not to love me when I'm walking and talking and living like God. Remember, God was in love with himself. He is in me, and we are one. When I exercise godliness, I will find the self-love and acceptance I have been fighting for. It comes from God. So we do all this stuff. Love yourself. Well, why would I be in love with myself? I'm supposed to be in love with the God that's in me. And if I can get faith and virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness down, why would I not be in love with me? Because then I would be doing things. I would be showing myself how wonderful I am. Because that's where the whole esteem and love comes from, from the doing. It's not me standing in the mirror and saying, okay, I'm in love with me and I think I'm wonderful. It's in me doing. And then when I get how much in love God is with me, well, I might as well join him. Well, if you love me that much, I might as well just go and love me too. <laughs> then it gets easy. Then there's no, I'm not worthless. I don't need to beat myself up and say I'm nothing and buy into the foolishness I've been told all my life. I have this God thing now. Then I see I am a called out. I am royal. I am a priesthood. But that's not until I get the godliness in. See, we quote all that stuff. What does it mean? All we have to do is once we get the godliness, then we start having affection for one another. Then I will see you as a foe. You're my friend. I like you. And I can like you because I like me. When we have trouble connecting with people, accepting differences, it's because I got a problem with me. Something in me got, is, is wrong. But when I'm cool with me, when I'm loving me, you can be as different as night and day for me. And that's okay. I care for you. Just affection. Now, after we get the brotherly affection, then we move to Christian love. Last one on the list is Christian love. Now, I can exercise Christian love, the real deep and profound love that Christ wanted us to have. The love that hides a multitude of sins and faults. The love that prefers you over me. The love that loves not because you deserve it, but because I love the humanity in you and I love the spirit in you. Because I have been touched by the love of God and I walk completely in the love of God and the love of God has become my identity. When I look in the mirror, I see him. Because remember, I went through all these attributes that I'm God-like now. So my identity is now Christ. 
it's no longer me. I wouldn't know how not to love once I get all this stuff together. It would be impossible for me not to have deep love because I have truly become one with Christ. He and I are one. He has taught me how to love. I have my knowledge based on the love he has graciously, extravagantly poured on me. I have to act like him. I am hidden him. I have lost who I once was. I am now new. Now I'm new. I got a seed planted when I got the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I am now birthed into newness when I take on his character. I am the being he designed me to be from the beginning. I am love as he is love. So if we say God is love, then I am to be love. For I am one with Christ. That's crazy. Because we are so void in love. We are so void in what that deep profoundness is. But he realized that we can't get there until we do the first steps. Faith is the first one. Mm. For as these qualities are yours and increasingly abound in you, I'm in verse 8 now, they will keep you from being idle or unfruitful unto the full personal knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. For whoever lacks these qualities is blind spiritually, short-sighted, seeing only what is near to him, and has become oblivious to the fact that he was cleansed from his old sins. His old nature has yet to be birthed. We are blind. And in the scripture it says you're willfully blind. Willfully. Because we don't want to take on, we don't want to add to the faith. We want to be comfy with saving faith. Not living faith, but just saving faith. So I, when am I going to add the rest of the stuff? He says, until I add this stuff, until I get all the way down to Christian love, I'm blind. We got a long ways to go if we're going to just be honest. A long ways to go. Isn't that amazing that he then does a little eye surgery on us? Just slowly start taking the cataracts off the eyes. So then I just get 20-20 vision. Once I get to Christian love, then I just can see clearly. Then the eyes that he put in me at birth, because remember, he gave us his eyes. I start seeing. Wow, this is what life is supposed to be like. Oh, this is what it is to be saved? Oh, I've been living too short for too long. It was so much we were supposed to do and see and feel. And I 
even got stuck on the baptism? Lord have mercy. Because of this, brethren, be all the more considerate, caring, attentive, and eager to make sure, to ratify, to strengthen, to make steadfast your calling and election. For if you do this, you will never stumble or fall. Get these qualities, we will never stumble or fall. We wonder why we keep stumbling and falling because we never had it. There is the ability to never. So if I never stumble and fall, my guarantee is heaven. I don't have to be worrying about heaven. And I sure don't have to worry about hell. That ain't even a part of my life. I left hell a long time ago. But hell is the thing that just sits on our shoulder. It may go to hell. Mess up enough, you're going to hell. Oh, on my way to hell. That was supposed to have been knocked off a long time ago. Heaven, it's there. It ain't going nowhere. I'm so preoccupied with trying to, you know, the heaven, the place, my body getting there, that I didn't miss that. Well, foot, how am I going to get there? Because I keep stumbling and falling. And I keep stumbling and falling because I never had it. Thus, there will be richly and abundantly provided for you entry into the internal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Messenger Bible reads it like this. This is verse 10. So friends, confirm God's invitation to you, his choice of you. Don't put it off. Do it now. Do this and you will have your life on a firm footing. The streets paved and the way wide open into the eternal kingdom of our master and savior, Jesus Christ. It's wide open, streets move. All you gotta do is add. All we have to do is what the scriptures say, and we have streets paved, no rocks to trip on, because remember we got our shoes on. We already got the shoes of the gospel when we put on the whole armor. So we ain't gotta worry about nothing. But if I add, he didn't then smooth the streets. So I don't even have to worry about stepping on nothing and falling. You can glide easily across then. The way will be wide open into the eternal kingdom. Not a little small thing that you got to try to edge in. That's what we're trying to do. We're just trying to scoot in, squeeze into heaven. He says, you do this. It's wide open. Just walk. This is why I don't need to fear hell or want to get to heaven any sooner than he wants me there. It's a guarantee. Going back to one of the other lessons, he says, if my people will, then I will. God is good, and there is no failure in him. I am one in him, so there is no failure in me. 
When I am failing, it's because I'm not in him. I never have to stumble or fall. That is a relief to know that you don't have to. Grab the promises. They are our life. This is what he's guaranteed us. We don't have to be hemming and hawing. We don't have to be afraid and unsure. Is he going to take me to heaven? Is he going to send me to hell? All this grief? No. Kingdom wide open. Just wide open. Just walk on in there. Isn't that beautiful? That is just wow for me. And I'm finished.